Well, guys, we've been taking our time through the Gospel of John, and I don't know about you guys, but I've been really kind of enjoying this more than I thought I would. I mean, I kind of thought, well, it's the Bible, it's good, whatever, you know, but <laughs> it's been amazing to me how much there's been in there that is, it's so directly connected to um, everything that I think we're going through in society and all sorts of things. There's so much in there, and uh, I know you should. I, I should be like, yeah, I knew that all along. But we were just praying, and we felt like we needed to do this. And it's been a good surprise to me. And it's also been a good guide that this is kind of how we're going to be doing things for the foreseeable future. And uh, I like how long it takes. <clears throat> We've probably bitten off more than we can chew on some of these weeks. Like, we should have even broken it down even further. But since we have other means, podcasts and things, or, you know, emails we send out each day to like to go through these you know you can you can read your own bible you know what i mean like, like i hope this is pr- provoking that in you um that if we don't have a time to emphasize something you can go back and take a look but i like the pace because it allows you to really see all the pieces and all the story in the last couple of weeks specifically where jesus is talking to his disciples as he's about to go um to the cross, and he's given them just straight, here's the stuff that's important, guys, and you need to know this, you know, um, because up till then, there's been a lot of storyline, like a narrative, like, then Jesus went here and did this, and then Jesus went there and did that, and then this happened, and then Jesus went there and did this, and then all of a sudden, he's like, boom, and I'm just going to start talking to you about the big picture world stuff, and I'm so thankful we have that, you know, it's so easy to read through it, because some of it's even repetitive, like I'd mentioned, you know, you're going to, I know, you said that already, I know, I get it, you know, but when you slow down and really think about it, you see how deep this goes. but So t- remember those chapters, John 13 through 17. That's an important thing to just always have in your mind. You know, I need to see what Jesus would say about this. Maybe start digging around in there because you'll probably find it. <clears throat> but now we're getting back into the narrative in John 18. This message is called My Kingdom. And what this whole, this is where Jesus is finished praying with his disciples. He's finished meeting with them in the upper room, and now he's saying, okay, it's time. And it's time for this glorification to happen. And he's talking about his death on the cross and then his coming resurrection that is going to change all of human history forever. Big, big deal. And the biggest takeaway from this whole thing is that Jesus is above all other authority. That's what this chapter is. It's like, that's the main thing we're going to focus on. That's the main thing that I want you to hear is that whatever authorities there are, and I'm not going to say they don't exist. We're certainly not going to say that they, you know, have no power. We're just saying Jesus is above all of them in both power and authority. And you'll get this as we go through it. And the, uh, you, you see this, you know, um, I got two foci that I want you to focus on in this, uh, during this reading. And um, focus number one is focus on Peter during the story, okay? Because I think Peter's going to kind of maybe represent us. He's a big-time disciple, you know? And this is not the end of the story for Peter, because this, I'll be honest, this, this, I mean, if you've read ahead a little, this doesn't end good. The end of the story at the very end is good. But I think probably... Peter, see, one of the things about this John thing is uh, it stuck out to me this time at this pace how many times I might have, like, not got every, you know, like when Jesus was doing stuff and people come up and, like, maybe criticize or question what he's doing. 
And if you read quickly, you're like, that guy, he doesn't get what's going on, you know, this kind of thing. I've kind of found myself, a lot of times as I've been reflecting, going through this last, you know, last couple months, I'm like, gosh, you know, that's not a bad question that guy asked, you know. And I was like, I might. You know, we always like to read the Bible stories and go, I'm sure I would always be on the good side of everything because I'm such a good person all the time. And I would do everything Jesus said, you know, because of course, of course, oh my gosh, of course I would do that. And so I found myself reading this time going, I might have missed a lot of this, you know what I mean? Like you think, you think you would have been there. So I'm inviting you to focus on Peter as this story right now, because I think he's probably a closer picture to what we might have actually done. And I'm not, and if you're really into, I'm not speaking this over you. Okay, I'm not saying you are this way. I'm saying that what we need to do is be open to looking at ourselves honestly. Okay, I'm not saying you're going to fail because Peter doesn't either. I'm just saying let's go through because when Jesus is doing Jesus stuff, it's hard to always keep up. Okay, you can't just assume you will always get it or you know what happens when you assume. Focus number two. Let's focus on Jesus, obviously. I could have flipped them around, so focus number one would be Jesus for those people. But like I already said, Jesus is above all other authorities, so I don't want you to infer from my second record, you know, that he's secondary focus. What I'm saying is Jesus is showing us for the kind of the end, the last time, he's been doing the work his father sent him to do. He's doing only the things, he's saying only the things the father sent him to do, and he is about to enter into a direct, complete conflict, both spiritually um, Spiritual conflict, political conflict, world conflict, authority. He's entering into that directly, head on. And this is how he responds. Forget not. He's God. Okay. So this one you can assume. How Jesus responds is right. Okay. That's the Sunday school answer. Correct. Yeah. So when you say Jesus put in X situation, reacts Y. That's the right answer. So write that one down. And put that in your, you know, and then you can also compare that against Peter in this situation. Reacts this. Eh, in this situation, not so great. All right. So what I'm saying with this is we are in situations right now in our culture that are moral challenges and are political challenges and all these kind of things. And we're like Jesus in this world, but not of this world. He already, he, like, if you go back and read those couple chapters, he's like, they're not of this world, meaning you guys, meaning me, any more than I am. Okay, because they've been born of the Spirit. You see, this kind of thing. So here we are in this world, but not of it, and we have to find some way to interact. He's given us an example here, okay? And so to put a little context on Peter first, you've got to remember a couple, it's now been a month ago or whatever. In John 13, you know, he's washing this, Jesus is washing feet, and Peter's like, man, I'll do anything, you know, and he says, you know, Simon, like, Simon, so it's John 13, 36, he says this, Lord, where are you going? This is Peter asking, and Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Again, not the end of the story, but you will follow later, but you can't follow now. Peter's like, what? Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, that's a pretty extreme difference of opinion here. And I think a lot of, like, you know, there's a lot. It's it, like We all know talk is cheap, and we all know hype is hype or whatever, you know. But you can say things to God pretty easily. We might even, we might even sing them. 
And again, I think that, you know, there is a little bit, when we sing the truth of God's word over our lives, even if we're not there yet, that's a good thing to do. And it's not faking it till you make it exactly. It's just kind of say, this is the truth, and the untruth needs to get in line with the truth, you know. So don't go there with it. What I'm saying is we think things about ourselves. Like, I don't think Peter was like, Ugh, I'll lie to him and tell him I'll do whatever. You know, I think he really thought that. Like, the guy was like, I'll die for you, you know. And in some of the other Gospels, Jesus is like, yeah, I know, you will at the end. But, like, come on, dude, like, you're not there yet. Like, right now, you're going to deny me three times in the next few hours. And, and I'm, I'm sure Peter was like, what? What? Like, if God says that to you, you're like, ah, you know, put me anywhere. Put your glory in me. I'll do anything. You know, and then he's like, yeah, but you're going to deny me in, like, 30 minutes when you're at Walmart. Because the guy in the, you know. And you're like, wait a second. Wait a second. That is not, that is not it. And so, you know, again, what did I say? Jesus is right, not Peter. So I, I, my slide to remember this is, is my Prince quote of, I will die for you. That was supposed to be animated, but it wouldn't play. So this is where, so always go back to this. I would die for you. This is what Peter is, is, what Peter is saying to Jesus. That's so you can remember it. And Jesus is like, I know, but yeah, I'm not buying everything. So... And I'll explain this whole interplay between Peter and Jesus. As we get to the end, you'll see the hope in it. But we need to start reading or else we're never going to get through this. All right. Uh, okay. The end of chapter 17. We've got to go there a little bit first. When Jesus finished praying, he left his, with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went to it. Okay. So Jesus is a... Wait, that's the... Yeah, sorry. At the end of chapter 17, Jesus has finished praying. He's saying, okay, we're done. All right, he's been praying for the disciples. He's been praying for us. Like, even literally says us. Like, all the people that are going to come and follow me because of what these guys do. I'm praying for them now. Like, it says that. That's cool. And now he's like, okay, it's time. So they go across the Garden of Gethsemane in this Kindron Valley. And now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So this is not like, you know, th- these guys are, this is, a, this is serious. You know what I mean? Torches, lanterns, and weapons. So now watch Jesus. When confronted with um, detachment of soldiers carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons, which would be scary if we were there with him. Again, think about Peter, but now watch Jesus, okay? So, Focus to Jesus here. Jesus knowing all that was going to happen. Does, so that's an important thing to have in there. Is Jesus surprised by this? No. So is God surprised by the things that happen in our lives? No. Is he surprised by anything that's happening in the world? No. Not surprised. We are surprised. You'll see Peter is a bit surprised. Jesus is not surprised. Focus on Jesus here. <laughs> Jesus knowing what was going to happen. He went out and asked them. You know, most people are like, oh, gee, there's a bunch of guys coming. Let's get out of here. You know what I mean? He's like, hey, who are y'all looking for? Huh? You know? And so he's, he says, who is it you want? He goes out and asks them. That's pretty bold. And you'll notice this theme with Jesus. He's not hiding anything. Who is it you want? Who is it that you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he replies, I am he. Now look at this. Well, in parentheses, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. Now, here's the, this is my, I, I really like this verse, verse 6. Okay, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. 
Now, I, I, now again, like, let's slow down. We're the disciples. This detachment of soldiers comes like, oh, crap, we better get out of here. You know? And then Jesus is like, hey, who are you guys looking for? And they're like, oh, here you are. You know, Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, I am he. And then they're falling on the ground. I, I would be confused by that moment. I mean, we'd been around Jesus a bit. He's healing people and stuff. But, like, we haven't seen this yet. Like, you're talking and people are falling down by just the power of the Spirit, the spoken word. Now, this I am references kind of back to Exodus again. You remember when Moses is like, who do I say sent me? He's like, I am sent you. Remember we talked about the I am sayings in John here? This is Jesus kind of going, I am he, you know. And the power of God in these words throws these guys to the ground. So, Is Jesus threatened? No. Is he scared? No. I mean, this is a serious moment, and Jesus knows what's coming. So it's not like he's, like, uh, he understands the, the significance. But when we think about authorities and kingdoms and powers, is he threatened by this power? No. When he literally announces who he is, when he steps out to find them and announces who he is, They fall to the ground at hearing who he is. That hasn't changed. Like, this is not an imaginary story. We're not reading about, like, you know, Middle Earth here. You know what I mean? I'm not against Narn or or whatever. I'm not against Tolkien or anything. I'm just saying that, like, this is, is like, you know, right, like, in our world, for real, he says this, they fall to the ground. So he's like, you know, get up, guys. Come on. Like, I'm the guy, you know. So you got to just kind of, that frames this whole next event that's about to happen. Because Jesus, who could just, you know, ask God, just wipe everybody out, pay attention to how he acts, okay? They fell to the ground. I love that. And again, he asked them, who is it you want? Guys laying on the ground, you know? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He's like, Jesus answered, if you're looking for me, or... Who is it you want? They, and Jesus answered, if, if you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those that you gave me. So Jesus is uh, still fulfilling scripture this whole time. And he's like, I told you, I'm the guy. Like, let's get up, you know. And then they're all like, oh, we'll arrest you. And so Peter, us, sees Jesus getting arrested. And look, this is what he does. So Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. This is an important thing because I think oftentimes when we see, when we talk about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now, is Jesus doing that? Answer, yes. Is Jesus living that out in the full way? Yes. Does Peter understand that in this moment? Answer, no, because you could see. Jesus actually, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And the cup he's referring to is the judgment of the prophets, you know, that Jesus is going to take. This process of the cross, you don't understand it yet, Peter, but this is important. I'm changing human history, and I'm going to break the powers of sin and death by what I'm doing. But to you, it looks like I'm losing right now. So your response is, let's kill everybody, which is kind of what we like to do. Now, most of us aren't going to be bold enough to actually have a sword or a weapon but we'll just post some stuff. <laughs> because we're bold. But here's the thing. You see what happens with this is um, we end up hurting people. The other gospels go in a little more depth where Jesus has to heal the guy. He's like, hey, man. Like, so now Jesus has to stop what he's doing 
to heal the people that we're hurting because we don't like how Jesus is being, you see what I'm saying? And this isn't us going like, Peter, you big idiot. Like, he's, he's the rock that Jesus is building the church on. Like, he gets it. Like, he doesn't like Jesus being treated this way. And that's not a bad thing. But it shows that his trust for Jesus is only here. It's not full. Because if he trusted Jesus, the guy who seconds ago threw people on the ground by talking, you would think, it was like, well, I don't know what he's doing. That'd be an okay thing to say. I don't get this, but I'm not going to stand in the way of him doing what he's doing. Because why would I do that? But we tend to like to do that all the time. And I would argue that most of the time what that does is hurt other people. And Jesus has to stop what he's doing to heal them and to tell us, hey, stop doing that. Like, y'all can take that and think about it. Pretty sure that's right. Then the, then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus, arrested the guy who just threw them on the ground. So he's letting them do that. Okay. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. That was earlier in John. It was a prophecy that he didn't know he was giving. So move on. Focus on Peter again. And this is interesting because the way they wrote this, it's like a movie. It jumps back and forth between focusing on Peter and focusing on Jesus. And you can kind of see how they handle the moment, right? So Peter, like, you know, doesn't run away yet. Simon, Peter, and another disciple were following Jesus, probably at a distance. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. So he's like, hey, man, can my friend come in here? Yeah, I was like, yeah, sure. Um, you aren't, but, you know, the questions come now. You aren't one of this man's disciples, are you? I would die for you. You're not one of his disciples, though, are you? He replied, I am not. What happened I would die for you? Well, the rubber meets the road now all of a sudden. So it was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Now the scene shifts, focus on Jesus. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. She's, again, Jesus is not hiding anything. He says, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret, so I questioned me. Ask those who heard me. Surely you know what I said. Okay. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. That is not how you treat Jesus. And that should cause some sort of, you know, reaction in us. You know, and he says to Jesus, is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. Now, Jesus responds like this. Now, this is the same Jesus who could throw him on the ground just by talking, okay? So keep that in mind this entire time, okay? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, the truth, why did you strike me? And dude has nothing to say at that. Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So um, Jesus does not back down. You see what I'm saying? But he also doesn't destroy the guy when he could have. These are important aspects to keep in, you know, could Jesus just obliterate the guy? Yes. Does he choose not to? Yes. And how he responds, I think, is key. So just hold on to that. Now we'll go back 
Focus again. Focus on Peter. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing there warming himself, so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? I will die for you. He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, <laughs> listen to this, small town stuff. See, we, we live in the modern world where we don't, you know. Back then, though, a big city wasn't, as, wasn't that big, and everybody kind of knew what was up, you know what I mean? So, you know, you couldn't sneak around as much because people like, yeah, I saw you there. You know, like, it was a little more like that. Some of you grew up in a town that was more like that. Jacksonville isn't exactly like that. So, <laughs> this is, so one of the high priest servant, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. And he's like, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Like, right over there, you know? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. And that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. So, we'll leave that for a second. Now, we're going to go back to Jesus. So, Jesus before Pilate is the next section. Pilate is the local kind of governor, all right, Roman governor. Verse 28, then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, all right? So it's getting serious now. Remember I said religious, spiritual, political, all of the struggles here? Now we're moving into this other category. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Now I'm just going to do a little pause here. I, this gospel is different than the other ones in that uh, the Passover Seder meal being the context of Jesus' Last Supper, and then this one is saying, like, well, they haven't done that yet because it's tonight in the timeline. It is a little different. The people have solved that for, like, it's not like people, you know, that might be the first time you've heard that, but there's been plenty of people that have known that for a long time, okay? So people have solved that lots of different ways. Some people think, well, because there are so many people, they would celebrate it on multiple nights because they just couldn't keep up with the demand of the stuff to do it or whatever. Other people have thought that, they have bought several different ways to solve that. Um, as far as the narrative goes. The, prob- the one that I think personally adds up a lot to this, and this goes back to what we originally said about old-fashioned biographies, which is what this is, a story about somebody who actually lived and it actually happened. But remember, the other Gospels, at the very, very beginning of John, we talked about how, um, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I'm, I'm giving you this for some biblical foundation. Remember how Jesus cleansed the temple at the very beginning of John? Like, we didn't just talk about that. A couple weeks ago, we talked about that in, like, February, you see what I'm saying? In the other Gospels, if we'd been going through Matthew, we would have just hit it, you see what I'm saying? And we talked about how, what an interesting shift to put this event in a different place. And like, well, why did you do that? And it was like, well, ancient biographies would do stuff like that for dramatic effect, the same way that we do stuff like that. And so there's a good chance that this has been worded the way it's been worded for the, the main point of this, Jesus' death occurred on Passover as he intended. And he is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth, as John has been laying out. So John is trying to, it's finishing this off saying, like, I'm going to really, really, really emphasize that he is the Passover lamb. Okay? So it's a theological reason that they did that. That was a rabbit trail, but hold on to it. You can look into it. Um, yeah, they wanted to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out and asked them, what charges are you bringing against this man? And then they say, if he was not a criminal, they, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. He's like, I'm not stupid. I'm not getting involved, you know. And so they're smart too, so they know they've, you know, we've got you a little cornered. But we have no right to execute anyone. And that's, in, that's immediately intense language, obviously. They objected. They took 
this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Again, Jesus is not um, surprised by this. And what's going on here is the Jewish leaders needed the Roman leaders to get involved to execute Jesus. Because that's what they wanted to do. And so what they've done is they're using Jesus' claim to be king as they're saying, hey, you know, if he's saying he's a king, you know, we're under Roman authority here. So, I mean, I mean, like they're like, I'm a religious leader. So he says he's the king of the Jews, and I don't believe that. But, I mean, he's saying he's a king. So, I mean, that, isn't that a challenge against Caesar? Isn't that who you represent? So if you let him live saying he's a king, that's like, I mean, hey, you know, that's punishable by death, isn't it? And they're doing this in front of people. And so he's getting cornered into, I would really just like you guys to go take and deal with this thing, but now he's got to deal with it. So he gets involved now. Pilate went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Again, watch Jesus. Jesus says, is that your own idea or did the others talk to you about me? And he's like, am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? So Jesus answers him. And this is the verse the kids are memorizing. It's like a slightly truncated version. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus' kingdom is not based in this political or military power like yours. is. He's saying this to him, you know. And he's like, well, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And this is what the powers that be say back to Jesus. What is truth? You mean like your truth? Or like my truth? Like what is that? And, like, and he leaves, you know, but like here's the thing. This is an interesting. He doesn't let Jesus answer it. You might remember just recently, John 14, 6. This is what Jesus says. I am, again, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's like, he's like, what is truth? And it, Jesus says, I am. You're talking to him right now, and you're missing it. And I, you can tell that th- this guy gets a little shook by this because he doesn't know exactly what to do. We don't have the rest of the exchange, all the emotion that's there, but the 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 kind of retort that is given to God, the true king of the earth, against the powers, the other powers that be in the world, they just say, what is truth? We got lots of those. And Jesus is like, no, there's only one. <laughs> I'm it. <laughs> Guess what? You know, I'm sitting here right now talking to you. So he went out. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. So he's like, ah, I've got one more way out of this. So, but it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at a time at the time of the Passover, right? He's like, I got it. He's like, I don't know what this whole deal is about, but I, I, something's up with this guy, so I don't want to, like, you know, I don't want to be involved in this anymore. I know. It's always our tradition to release one person, to, like, absolve them of their, you know, crimes and release them back, right? Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? This guy I don't think there's anything wrong with. And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in the uprising. So there's this kind of like, hey, you want this, this guy back? World? World, do you want this? 
And, and the world shouts back, and it's the spiritual world, the political world. You know, it's like they say, no, we want this really bad guy instead. They had this choice. I mean, that's kind of a crazy choice. Peter's already gone, but I'm thinking, like, you, you see how this stuff applies, right? So, so many times, given the choice of Jesus, the king of the, and it's interesting how they put king of the Jews there, because Jesus doesn't show up as just some guy, your friend, you know, he shows up as the king. That's the only way he can be, because it's the truth. See, it's, it's the funny thing about this John thing is, so many of the things that Jesus says are so challenging to the way we think and the way we live, because that's just the way it is. And so, I found myself thinking, if I heard this for the first time sitting there with this guy who's talking, I'd be like, yeah, but, I mean, haven't you been out and seen how the world works? And it's funny to think, but that's kind of praying, you know, and he'd be like, yeah, I know a little thing about how the world works, you know, but he can't, it would be really crazy for any person to say most of the things Jesus says in this gospel especially the things, or totally the things about himself. Like if I was hanging out with some guy, and he was like, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'd be like, you're insane. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm not hanging out with that guy anymore. You know what I mean? And I'm going to keep my kids away. But the thing you have to wrestle with is, if Jesus is that, how could he say anything else? So we don't believe it because he said it. He said it because it's true. Do you follow the, the pathway there? It's not like, well, I mean, I guess, you said, I guess you said it, so, I mean, you know, I guess. He's like, no, he's like, what else am I supposed to say if it's true? If it isn't true, he's a crazy person. Just like the crazy person that would show up, you know, and say that to us, we'd go, yeah, no, I'm not going with that, you know. But if it is true, what else is he going to say? And this is the thing. So, Kayla, come on up here. Is Kayla here? Somebody come on up here and play a song. <laughs> the, uh, um, the truth of this whole thing, this whole verse, is our calling right now to live like Jesus. And our call to truly trust him. Trust him especially when the things aren't working out the way we think they will. Hello? Like Peter was, he's like, I got it, man. You're the Messiah. You're the king. You know, and again, some of the other gospels have these other stories of, you know, the transfiguration and all these kinds of things, which we didn't get into this time. But, you know, Peter's not like a dummy, you know. He's like us. He's working with what he's got. But he thinks things are going to work out a certain way. And it's funny because Jesus, in this gospel, Jesus kind of makes it clear. He's like, hey, you know, this is how things are going to go, you know. And even when God tells us those kind of things, like last week, he's like, you know, the world's going to hate you because you follow me. And then the world starts to hate you, and you go, wait a second. Why are they hating me? I'm such a great person. How, I, mean, I don't understand this. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. Now, it doesn't feel good to be hated. Like, if, if you like being hated, you're weird, okay, and unhealthy, and we need to pray with you. But the point is, Jesus needed to warn you because it's going to happen and he's like i'm not saying this so that you get all the swords and you kill everybody i'm saying this so you can trust me when these things are happening because they're going to happen 
not might. Remember this last week? Not maybe, not could, will certainly happen when you follow me. This is the life he's called us to. Now, here's the thing. All these powers we talked about, the spiritual powers, the drug addictions, the the unjust laws, the unrighteousness of our society, you know, the things that are coming into our eyes and our ears and our minds and our spirits through the internet, all of this stuff has power, has absolutely has power. I'm not saying it doesn't. What I am saying is that Jesus is the only one that has more. He's above it. And he's calling us to trust him to walk through that and to do the work the Father's doing just like he did, even when it's tough, tough, especially when it's tough, and especially when we're mistreated or hated by other people. And he, I, can, I know I'm right about this because he just went through several chapters telling us about it. Several. Several weeks in a row. He's been warning. He's like, hey, guys, look. But you can be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. If (laughs) that's it. And here's the thing. We can be mistreated. We can be lied about. We can be slapped in the face just like Jesus was. And we can take it because we know him and we know the truth. It's like you don't have the power. You don't have ultimate power anymore. And that doesn't mean that experience is something we seek or something we enjoy in and of the moment, if you follow what I mean. But we can get through it with joy because of who he is and who him living inside of us. And he's been setting that up for the last several chapters of this book. He's just finally doing it. And when he does it, they freak out. Here's the thing, guys. We're no longer part of this world. His kingdom, he's like, my kingdom's from another place. And he's inviting us to be a part of that kingdom. And we are. If we accept him as king. And then that changes everything. Not just the heaven and hell situations. In the most ultimate end, like when you die, you know. I mean right now. Like some of us live in hell now. It'll get worse, you know, when you take it to the end. But he's inviting you into the heavenly kingdom now. And he went into great lengths these last couple chapters to say this. You can do it. You can do it. And that doesn't always look like moving to some other country. We need people that are going to go. We have a missions wall in the back. That's important. And we need to, as a church fully be engaged in efforts to get this good news that I just told you about to people who don't know it, okay? And how we do that and what we do with that, we got to, I mean, these are real life things that we try to sort out and we're going to keep doing that and we'll try to do it more. But that doesn't mean that every single one of us, if we fully get into this and we fully live, live it out, that that means I'm going to have to move away to some country I don't know. It might not change anything from what you're doing. Now, some of you, it might, it might send you like that. But it, it, <laughs> I don't know what the pie graph is. All right, guys? So I don't want to be like, well, 14.2% of you will now be. I don't have any idea. But my point is, is that I'm starting to suspect probably most of us 
aren't sent like that. Most of us are sent where we are. God wants you to live, a lot of us, live right where you are, doing almost exactly the same things. These are, these, I'm saying these things to faithful people, okay? If you're in sin, you, there's a lot you need to change, all right? But if you're like, I'm just burned out like you were saying earlier. I'm trying to do this God thing. I'm totally worn out by my family and people online and the craziness. And I also just don't even see the spirit moving in my life at all. Now you want me to move to Africa or something or, or you know, China? Like, no, like, like let's, let's slow down a little bit. If you're in that kind of position, what I think the Lord is saying to you right now is, I want you to be where you are, doing what you're doing, experiencing what you're experiencing, good and bad, yet being of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And it will look something like what you see him doing in this thing, especially when they're mistreating you. Because we know the king. The other thing that he said a lot in the last, and Mike touched on this when he was praying, is that we need each other to accomplish this. It is not possible to do anything I just said by yourself. And it's also not tough or manly or whatever to do that. That's not how Jesus says to do any of this. It's we are his body and he's the head and we live together. And we have all our parts. I'm going to close by reading this portion of Psalm 69. Because it starts to describe, if you read this whole thing, I mean, a lot of this is talking about what Jesus experiences right here. And it's also what he invites us into. And we can do it. And we will do it. And you'll see the end of the story with Peter comes later in a couple more chapters. It'll take us a little while to get there, but the uh, um, but we will. And so it does end well. And by well, I mean if what you're looking for is a safe life, and if you define safe as in like nobody's bothering you and you have all the money and you have all your health and all this kind of stuff, that's just giving back into, it's just being part of those kingdoms that I was already talking about. That's not living into this higher kingdom that Jesus is calling you to. And that isn't at all what he's talking about. If you mean by safe, doing what Jesus is telling you to do and trusting him fully, meaning not stabbing people like Peter was, but going along with him because he's the true king. Like, I'm going to be where Jesus is. And if you define that as safety, which I think is actually a fair word to use, eternally safe, spiritually safe, you know, all of the, you know, but you're going to get the hard stuff. And he's inviting us into this for the good of others in our lives. For I endured, for I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor and your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. 
Do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love and your great mercy. Turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Deliver me because of my foes. So, Father, I pray that this high calling that you've called us to, to live out the calling of telling your good news to those around us, to live out the calling.